Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, the podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Jungle Fever. In Jungle Fever, Flip Purify, played by Wesley Snipes, is a successful architect who is happily married with a young daughter. A late night working alongside his new temp secretary, Angie, played by Annabelle Shiora, leads to an interracial affair that sends shockwaves through both of their neighborhoods. Screenplay by Spike Lee, directed by Spike Lee, and released in theaters nationwide on June 7th, 1991. Have you seen Jungle Fever before? Yes, I have. I have not. I've seen very few Spike Lee movies, really. Oddly enough. I... Okay, I remember this and Crooklyn. Which was, I also have not seen. Oh, okay. The, this movie and Crooklyn was on HBO a lot. And... I don't know why... I, Crooklyn, I liked. Because it's like a coming-of-age type story. Okay. I don't know why I watched this movie when I was, like, 12. I mean... I, if it's on. I mean, if it was on, I just don't know why a 12-year-old girl should be watching this movie. I, I mean... I it, mean, I remember it. I mostly... There's nothing all that wrong with watching this movie. No, it's just, like, it's, it's very like, adult. It's very adult, but I think themed. it's... Um, it presents subject matter in a really good way for someone yeah. of that age. I mean, this is kind of like how, I guess, watching movies and even watching MTV, like the real world and stuff, this is how I learned yeah. about, like, race, racism and, like, race relations. Mm. Like, this was my teacher. I watching can understand that. movies and TV, because you don't, you're not really taught that in school. Really? Yeah, yeah, not by the teachers. I mean, I went to school in an area that was predominantly black, and like, so like I, I was on the fringes, right? Like as a white kid in the in the area, like I, so I saw and I heard overheard conversations of other people, so I knew that some of this kind of like mentality existed. I knew that I you know knew, what I mean? yeah, I but mean, like I, yeah. It, like, Rodney King and O.J. Simpson were obviously massive events worldwide, but I got to experience, like, a much different perspective of it mm -hmm. because of where I went to school, which I'm thankful for. I kind of, I mean, I kind of, where I used to go to school, I grew up in a not great area of Chicago, and... There were there was like a gang house that lived across the street from us, so I saw like gang activity, you know. So I knew about gangs and like drugs and stuff about like that. My mom was always just like, you know, avoid them, don't even look at them, whatever. Right. 
And then I've even witnessed, like, fighting. I've seen, like, drive-bys in front of my face as, like, a little kid. So, I mean, I've... But it wasn't, like, race-related. It was just gang against gang. Right. And this doesn't really get into the gangs. This isn't It does touch on drugs. Yeah, it talks about the drug part of it. This is just, like, straight-up racism (laughs) between two different parts of like new york like it's just two different neighborhoods and it's like where flipper lives he's in harlem i mean that's predominantly black and then we have like bensonhurst in brooklyn which virtually all it's Italian just, just all italian and it's like that's where when they were speaking to each other like when they first had their one night late working session session and she's, and you know, Flipper's like, oh, have you ever been to Harlem? She's like, no. Like, they just don't leave their neighborhoods. No. And yeah. that's kind of just like how... That's true of a lot of people, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. even when I did go to school, it's like, I live in a huge... I lived, or I, st- I do live in a huge city, but it's like, like New York. It's just, you live in this huge city. Wouldn't you want to, like, take advantage and, like, explore and... It's just people are just so accustomed to their neighborhood and like this one mile radius and they don't leave this yeah. one mile radius. Yeah, when you have what you need, it's, it's just like it's, you're there's fine much with less it. reason to. If you don't have a whole lot of money, then there's less reason to. So like the combination of the factors absolutely it makes it tougher to really branch out. Um Yeah, this Prior to this, I I don't think, I don't think I had seen a Spike Lee movie until I went to college, um, where Do the Right Thing was part of the courses that I took in film school. Um, and then while I was there, I also saw things like um, Bamboozled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Inside Man came out like at the tail end of my college life. But that's that's about it. I never really went back and, and watched his other stuff. Um, I mean, we saw Black Klansman, which is yeah, one of the recently. more recent ones. Aside from, I think, Defy Bloods, I think, was one of his latest features on Netflix. Which I hear is good, but, you know, never never sat down to. Um, this is This doesn't have the same impact as something like Do the Right Thing, which is hard to replicate. Of course. Um. Well, the way okay, the way this is marketed, it's like it's meant to be a comedy, and it's not. Yeah, the trailer does seem to lean into the comedic side of things, but there really are very, very few. I think, like, I don't know if it's meant to be. Um... Even with the song, like the Jungle Fever song, it's very like upbeat. But that's the only upbeat song. Like every other song on the soundtrack is just very dramatic yeah in fact a lot of the score seems like the it was score is, suspenseful it's very like else. jazzy yeah yeah like jazzy suspense it's like it really felt like a 1950s pulp movie it made me think score. of a play sure yeah that too um but yeah very orchestral uh very very jazz oriented 
um, when it isn't Stevie Wonder mu- music, which is a lot. There's yeah, a lot I of mean, Stevie this Wonder is, music specifically all... created for this. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that that first song that you see over the opening credits is, I think, what most people know from this movie, the title song. Yeah, I know that. Because <laughs> is... I remember the lyrics of that. Because the lyrics kind of made me laugh. Yeah, and it's kind of like, I don't know, it's almost like childlike in its structure you know it's almost like a kid song if you, well, yeah, if you take I, away I, the meaning of it yeah <laughs> i used to sing that song because i thought it was like just very catchy but it's like imagine your 12 year old daughter saying we've got jungle fever yeah i've got jungle fever like you've got jungle fever now we're in love and then <laughs> you know, if you go in the second verse then you get into a lot of different yeah <laughs> it, it's not a comedy uh, I don't think it really tries to be a comedy, but you're right. I think that the trailer that we watched on the DVD... It makes it look like it's supposed to be... I mean, the... It's almost like it's trying to um, release the tension through the jokes and presenting it. It's like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's heavy subject matter, but don't worry. It's okay. See it anyway. Well, and then I forgot, like, the really bizarre ending. <laughs> yeah, the ending like... is... The ending is more comedic than anything, unfortunately, yeah. and it, it's not meant to be. No, but it's hilarious. It's and then, super cheesy. And it's, um, like, I remember, I think the Wayans brothers did, I know someone did a parody of it, like, in, I know the Wayans oh, brothers. probably. That makes sense. Like, in D- Don't Be a Menace. Yeah, I remember seeing a parody of it, and I forgot. <laughs> that it was from this movie. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, the ending is is um, it's not really spelled out incredibly well. I mean, there's there, there's the drug subplot with Flip and his brother Gator, played mm-hmm. amazingly by Samuel L. Jackson, and um, he runs into people on the street who are offering to you know offering sex in exchange for money so they can go you know continue their their drug habit and he's really worried that his daughter is going to fall into that trap and at the end it's basically like he thinks like the the latest person that he sees on the street who's asking for money i guess looks too much like in a grown-up version of his daughter or something That's because he just like grabs her and like screams into the heavens like goes, no, no! But then... and then the camera like zooms out into the you know the stratosphere and then freeze. and then the end yeah uh i thought it was see that i was like is this supernatural now because it could have you been... thought it was a time jump yeah like uh, when he, when he got okay because <laughs> it would have been like th- only that shot would have been part of that time jump then. That I thought it was just the combination of the person saying, Hey daddy, can I do this to you for oh, five I bucks? Thought... And it looked possibly in his mind looking like his I daughter. I thought it was his literal daughter like 10, 15 years later. I don't know. Either way, it's like, it's a weird way. You're basically closing out a subplot to enter, to end your movie instead of like the main plot, which is weird on its own. Yeah. And then to do it in such a weird cartoony way. It was a bad choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it was supposed to be a time jump. That's that's what... Um, I mean, I don't know why it had to end that way. They could have just... I don't know. <laughs> they could have just been... The way it ended with just 
the two of them finally realizing they should just break up, it, it could have just ended there. Yeah, instead we get this other part where we see that the wife takes him back at the end, and I, I we don't know what made her want to take him back. That's why I was... Because th- then, you know, they do sleep together, and then she turns her back to him. She's kind of crying, and she's like, I think you should leave. Yeah, like, it's, they're not fully back together, I guess. Yeah. But that's, that's why I thought, like, okay, he's leaving for the day. We saw the young Ming, the daughter, yeah, already. Yeah, smiling, because her parents are back like, together. In the previous, you know, shot, and yeah. now he's coming out of the house and sees adult Ming, question mark? Yeah. So that's why it would be really weird for it be, for it to be a time jump is because it's a continuation of that same scene. That but that's what makes so. me wonder is it a time jump or not? Like it could have been just another like maybe he does that every day. Like he never really gets back with a wife, but he spends the night with her for like X amount of years and then she's like I think you should leave every night. <laughs> And then this is like the 900th time he's done it and his daughter is now like a teen. That's that's whatever. going really far with everything. I, th- <laughs> that's, I was that's just a like long should... walk in your mind. You know? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> um I don't know. But yeah, the the daughter this is her only role. The person who played Ming Veronica Timbers. Uh she's hmm I'm trying to think of, like, she's she's basically there to show, like, the idyllic marriage, I guess. And also to show that he is a really good father to her. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I think that's important to establish his character. Um, because you get into this whole thing of, like, infidelity and, like, why? Why would you do this when you have this wife and you have this child and all this other stuff going for you? Like, why did it happen? Like, that's a big question in this movie that doesn't really get answered other than to say, oh, I was curious about white people. Yeah. Um, and, hey, I, you know, this, this presented itself to us. And I didn't like the scene where it, what, that led up to their affair. You know, them talking to each other during that long night at work. I didn't think that conversation would make was, them all of a sudden want to have sex with each other. Yes, it felt extremely like awkward. forced and, because it, they didn't it didn't, it didn't it wasn't seem... super flu- it didn't seem like there was really any chemistry between them. And then he's like, "Oh, well, I I better get back." You know, "Oh, you want me to drive you home or drive you to the train or whatever." Um, I should get back. And then all of a sudden they're just like doing it on the table. Well, okay, from what I was reading, it seemed it it that wasn't just one night. That was, like, over a series of multiple nights. Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention. I mean, I wasn't looking for, like, clothes changes or anything like that. There is no... Yeah, and... But, you know, there's there's nothing to break up the scene other than, you know, now they have Chinese food. And in the next scene, they also still have Chinese food and they're talking about something else. Yeah. You know, it's not like um, salmon berries where you have the fade-ins and fade-outs to show the passage of time and they're in different positions. They're always just sitting at their desks talking about something different. And even if it is over multiple nights, you'd think that they would be starting off awkward and then becoming more chummy, close, you know, like ribbing each other, touching each other, 
um, whatever it is. Like, I didn't see any progression in their relationship over the course of that scene. It always just seemed weird, stilted, awkward um, conversation. Honestly, it felt like they were improvising everything that they were saying. It didn't seem like they were scripted moments. Oh, it was okay. just, let's get to this point, and you guys just say whatever you want. And they don't know how to improvise it wasn't, those natural yeah, conversational points. They weren't very points. flirtatious. They no. were just literally getting to know each other. Yeah, it's like, there so is, where it was from? all small talk. Yeah, which is, I mean, if you work with anyone, that's yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, what, that's a normal conversation. Exactly. So how, <laughs> how does that lead to, okay, let me prop you up on the desk? It doesn't in this movie. It's just, um, yeah, and you didn't, you don't see them like falling in love with each other, really. No, not even really all that many like flirty glances, especially from Flip to her. It's, I mean, it's just her trying to be overly friendly, where she's like, you know what, I'm gonna make you lasagna. You know, I'll do it tomorrow, whatever. Right. And then that when he says, oh doesn't your boyfriend come and pick you up at the train station? She's like, no. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's kind of like a little bit thrown. He's like, oh, is that safe? Yeah. Like, yeah. He, no, like, he, wouldn't that be, like, shouldn't he come get you? Because, I mean, he's trying to be like a chivalrous man and say, I mean, your boyfriend should be doing this for you. But it wasn't like inappropriate talk between the two yeah none of it was i mean maybe a little bit at the end like you could see that his intentions were going towards feeling out things yeah you know but yeah and then there was right when they were getting ready to leave he was like you know i'm a really happily married man and she's like yeah i know and then they just start making out yeah like immediately (laughs) it's weird Mm -hmm. that's all i'm saying so, like, the, that's why I'm saying, like, the answer of, like, why did he cheat isn't really answered. It's, because I think, it, out I of don't curiosity like for the both of them. I guess so. But, I mean, honestly, like, in the movie, it seems like Angie is actually looking for a relationship. Yeah. And it would be happy to pursue a relationship. Um, clearly, Flip is, is not basically at any point like he continues the relationship at a certain point in the movie because that's I mean he his just got his, his wife found out and he got kicked out and then he's like okay I mean he lives with his parents for a while but then they get an apartment together and but I, it's I just feel... because they're both kicked out of their respective homes I think yeah and, like, it's not and they're, they're, they're both just being ostracized from their communities and then they both find an apartment in the village like Greenwich Village and um, they live there for a couple months I have no idea and yeah. they just realize how hard this relationship is well I don't think they realize they think that it's front and center in their minds the entire time Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we see that when Angie gets kicked out of her house, and you know we see that from all the conversations of the people in the neighborhood that are surrounding them all the time too. Uh, yeah. Like even you know like when when Angie tells her secret of like is, there's there's the uh, flip there... in the park with Cyrus played by Spike Lee, uh, and then intercut with Angie in the park. A different park in their respective neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh, with with her friends 
Uh, I don't remember the character's name at all. Um, it's got, Debbie Mazar. Debbie Mazar is one of them. I don't remember her character name. And then I didn't write down the other person's name. Denise is Debbie Mazar, but I don't know. The other one is Louise, I think. But, um, yeah, the non-Debbie Mazar one is basically like, yeah, I think it's gross. Like, you know, you're doing a black guy, I think that's gross. Like, it's unnatural. Yeah, and it's just like... But then we find out um, that Flipper's wife is mixed. Her mother and father are black and white. Yeah. Because when they even speak... Because um, Angie is like, well, I want children one day. And he was like, no, don't you don't want mixed children, do you? And... She's she tells him like you realize that your your current daughter has white blood in her because mm-hmm. of her wife being mixed, mm-hmm. and he was like she that doesn't matter she looks black acts black is black, mm-hmm. and I don't know just... which is you know I I think also yeah I think it, it's I I think that's like him also trying to warn Angie about what. Like, she doesn't know what she'd be getting into with a mixed kid. Yeah, Whereas, because, because like, his wife is It doesn't is matter mixed. how much white is there. Yeah. Society's going to see them as black. Right? Yes. And, and they do have... There's a conversation with... Because there's an issue of racism, but then there's also an issue of colorism between the black community. Oh, yeah. Because there there's, like, a very important conversation with the wife and her friends and how her darker-skinned friends are, like... I'm seen as ugly because I have darker skin than you. Right. And that that, that was like a very Which is important also, conversation. That was the best conversation in the whole movie. Yeah, because it also like opens was, your eyes. Like there's even racism within our own community. Yeah. It, which is very true. Yeah. Um, and you see that reflected in society a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that also is confirmed to be almost completely improvised um and shot over a couple different days where basically the cast got to get together and just speak to their minds and just you know lay everything out there that they've experienced that they you know that they are trying to come yeah because then the wife is like yeah all her friends are like why don't you go for a white guy whatever and she's like either i go i become a nun or i become gay or something to get back at him. Yeah, like, I'm not going to go for I'm not going to find another guy. So I might as well either be a nun or go with a woman. Yeah, and it's not that she doesn't and that's want to were... find another guy. Yeah. She's like, well, there's I can't just find no another... nice black men anymore. Yeah, there's no good black men who aren't going for white girls anymore. Yes. And that's when one of the friends like, why don't you go for a white guy? But then they have been, they go into that whole conversation between like the color of their skin. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of uh, conflicting emotions, which makes sense. Right. I mean, you know, it's tough to reconcile this whole idea of, okay, America is like this melting pot where everyone should be coming together and just Mm -hmm. blending and, you know, treat everyone the same. But also that concept of identity and, you know, heritage and who you are and, you know, not wanting to abandon that or or betray that, which 
which is a very individual thing, right? Like she's basically saying, I don't want to betray my heritage by going with a white person. I want to, you know, like stay and, and be true to my, my black self. Yeah. Right. Um, so it, it's this weird fine line of like, what is, what is racist? What is not racist in some of these talking points? And I like that Spike Lee is just putting everything out there in the open. I think that a lot of these conversations don't have a right or a wrong perspective presented to us. It's just, here are the spectrum of opinions, not just one side or the other side. Here's everything in between. Here's why it's so complex. Um, and, you know, we're just going to lay it out there because none of us know the answer. I'm not going to pretend like I know the answer. Spike Lee's not going to pretend like he knows the answer. Mm -hmm. So here's all the information. Here's what kind of like, you know, here's what we're trying to come to terms with. Here's what we're trying to deal with in our own minds when we see something like this, when we deal with something like this. And why it is this weird thing. Like it should not matter that a black person and a white person are getting together. And to a lot of people it doesn't, but to some it does. And it's not purely because they hate the other race. So like, it's, um, it's weird and it's difficult. And I think this movie does a really good job of presenting that. Yeah. We can also just talk about how in where Flipper works, he is an architect at this firm which is his he's trying to become partner and his two bosses are like he's obviously the only black man in that entire office and he's very high up and he wants to become a partner mm -hmm. like his two bosses and you even see that conversation and how like the two guys are like yeah, there are a couple. There are a couple of scenes that they have with them. Uh, we got Brad Dorif, who we've seen before mm -hmm. as one of the partners, and then Tim Robbins. This is his only nineteen ninety one movie. So this is a huge cast, by the way. So I'm gonna sort yeah. of pause in the middle here to sort of just you know go over the credits. People know Tim Robbins, Oscar winner for Mystic River, nominated for directing Dead Man Walking, uh, Cam winner and Golden Globe winner, BAFTA nominated for The Player, uh, Golden Globe nominated for Bob Roberts as well as Cinema Verite. And he's been, you know, Razzie nominated for Howard the Duck, but, you know, people know him for, like, Bull Durham, Jacob Slatter, Shawshank, Redemption, High Fidelity, even. Um, so those two are there, and the first thing we see with them is that Flip was like, asking for a temp. Yeah, for And they gave an him... Uh, they gave him Angie, who is a completely inexperienced white girl in this field. And he wanted an experienced black person yes. in the field. And they basically gave him the worst possible option because here's this person who doesn't know anything about anything architecture. Yeah. Uh, and so, and they turn it around on him and be like, well, we can't hire somebody just because, solely off of yeah. the color of their skin. Yeah. Which is true, but, you know, in the back of Flip's mind and the audience's mind, it's like, yeah. no, that's exactly what you actually did, though. Yeah. Like, you purposely chose not to, to throw this back in his face. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you hired somebody who was completely inexperienced because her color of the skin did not match flips. Yeah, they're, they're just fucking with him, like, the entire time. But pretending like they're on his side. 
Right. And then the other time is, you know, he's trying to ask for a partnership and he's getting the runaround and the camera is reflecting that by circling around the entire conversation the whole time. Um, and basically saying, I deserve to be partner. I did all of your best work. I've been here from the start. You've promised me you're going to make me partner at some point. Now is the time. And they just hem and haw and be like, well, not really. We can't do it right now. We can't do it right now. They just keep on saying not right now. And And then he just quits. Yeah. That's when Flipper is like, I, you know, I created the logo. I created this, that, whatever. And I should be partner. And he quits and he's like, I'm going to start my own firm but this is right after he's already slept with angie and his that's also when his wife finds out and throws all his stuff out of their house so he has he was like well i was gonna start my firm in the house she's like no you're not so he's jobless yeah and living with his parents but then eventually they get an apartment together but we don't know anything about his job stuff after that no we don't we we just sort of have to assume that everything goes okay yeah i mean that's aside from gator's character and i i guess vivian as well um played by Halle berry i i don't think that there's really a whole lot that we have to worry about in terms of the jobs of the people who are involved. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more all about the relationship. So we have to just sort of assume that he's making strides or at least he just has enough money to get by in the meantime. Yeah. So. And then also his wife is has a nice job as well. She she works at Bloomingdale's. So it's like they're seen yeah, as like, like a big buyer at great. Like like maybe upper middle class in the Harlem neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like so, and then I think even his parents, Flipper's parents, they live in a very nice apartment building too in that neighborhood. And, you know, his father was a reverend. Yeah. They don't fully explain. I mean, they allude to why he was kicked out, but they don't ever actually say the exact reason. Yeah, I guess his father was just way too strict, and even the church was like, you're too strict for us or something. Well, they also kind of allude to um, relationship improprieties from him, too. Oh, like, okay. Like that he had also illicit affairs of some kind. Okay. Uh, But they don't outright say it. Mm. Possibly to, to... spare the mother's feelings. Ruby yeah. Dean. So yeah, th- th- those are played by Ruby Dean and Ozzy Davis. We'll talk about them later. Those are like my pausing on the credits because they're casting, you know, their their credits list is huge. So yeah, there's there's a lot going on. And then with, with the parents as well, we get introduced to Gator because he comes around. Um, the Reverend doesn't want him inside their house, but the yeah, mom always pretty does. Much, um disowned his son yeah gator he's the oldest son and he's like i don't have an older son anymore he's like my only son is flipper basically Uh but whenever the the reverend leaves the house or is in like in another room that's when gator comes around and you know obviously he's gonna come by for his mom because his mom will always have a soft spot for her own son yeah and uh her husband the reverend knows that and i mean 
gator take it takes advantage of that all the time. And yeah, I mean his like whatever the whatever gator says is like he's like where else do you want like the way he manipulates his mom is like so good. I should say. Yeah. Like he plays a very good drug addict. Where he's like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, beat up an old woman? Or should I ask you for money? What do you want me to do, Mom? No, he says that to his brother. Oh, okay. Like, with with like, his mom, he really to, just like... says... Like, he says stuff like, well, I have this job that's, you know... I'm, I, I'm hired, but I need $100 for the application for the job. Yeah. Or I need to borrow this color TV so I can watch the Mets game by promising I'm going to give you back to you right. afterwards. But then, like, it, yeah. It's everything that he says, the mom knows for sure is a it's lie. Gonna, yeah, but, but she's like, okay. I have to trust him. Like, maybe maybe this time will be different. Mm-hmm. But I know it's not, but I'm going to hope that it is. Uh, but yeah, with his brother, he basically just says, yeah, give me some money. Because, like, either you give me the money or I'm going to beat up an old person for it. And which one would you rather me do? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- th- I, yeah, he's great in this. He yeah. honestly, he said in the past that he does not consider this role to be much acting for him because apparently he was a recovering drug addict at mm-hmm. this time uh, still. And, and so, like, this was very fresh in his memory. Yeah. Uh, and something he had actively been going through. So, like, he, um, a lot of what he brought to this character was from real life, but he, he really does sort of steal the show in a lot of these scenes. And also he does, you know, like little dances to appeal to his mom's sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Like, look, I'm your little kid just dancing for attention. Can you please, you know, mm-hmm. give me some money? And he tries to do the same thing to his brothers too, but it doesn't quite work. Um, but yeah, that... I don't know that the drug subplot needs to be there in terms of what the movie brings. Um, but I guess this causes it's... the whole, like, why the Italian-Americans are so hateful against the black community, because they're bringing drugs into their neighborhoods. They just call all... Yeah, according to them. Is like, but just drug dealers. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, the movie doesn't really show that is the thing. Yeah, they don't. They you just know? like kind of you, allude like, to like this animosity towards each other. But I mean, yeah, when you when you see a lot of the Italians congregate, well, at least in the movie, um, yeah, the the Italians that have speaking roles congregate into this candy soda store. That is run by uh, Anthony Quinn's character, who is actually living upstairs in the, the yeah, who's whatever. John Turturro's and John Turturro father. plays the son, yeah. and he is actually doing the work. But it's like yeah. owned owned by, by father, yeah. the father, played by Anthony Quinn, and um, Oscar winner for Viva Zapata and Lust for Life, and also nominated for Wild Is the Wind and. Alexis Zorbis, surprisingly not nominated for Lawrence of Arabia, but he was not. He was Golden Globe nominated for that role. Um, anyway, so John Turturro's there, but basically, like a whole slew of people are 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 there, and virtually all of their conversations is like this weird mix of racism and jealousy, which I guess kind of go hand in hand, right? Like that's but sort of like they're also what just the like also hypocrites to too, because oh, for sure. even. It, just even in the and they're like jealous yeah jealousy yeah and 
Because one of them, he's listening to NWA in the car. Yeah, Nicholas Turturro's character, Vinny. Okay. Um, and the girlfriend's like, what is this? And he's like, we're not listening to M- like Madonna anymore. It's all about, you know, rap now. And he's listening to, like, h- hardcore rap. Yeah. But he has, like, this hatred. But, yeah, a lot of their conversations in the shop are, you know, mixing up, like, with the N-word and saying how they're ruining society and doing, you know, everything is, like, terrible about them. But at the same time, when you have people like uh, Oren coming into the shop, <laughs> the the woman that John Turturro is like tries to date later in the movie. Yeah, Oren. Um, good. Yeah. Oren Good. Yeah, I can't remember the last name for a second. The they also talk about how they would love to sleep with her. And, yeah. You know, like they're oh. just like. I don't know. It's like this weird. Like they have this hatred and hatred, fascination. Yeah. Hatred and fascination, but it's like they're battling themselves. Yes. Saying, oh, I should hate this person because they're not Italian. Mm-hmm. And they're different from me, but I'm also fascinated because they are different from me. Right. And, yeah, because then they're like, when whenever she comes into the shop, they all, you know, they're all like quiet and they're looking at, Oren speaking to Polly, who is John Turturro. Yeah, they're like, oh, you could never do that. How could you ever stoop that low? But I would also. I would also yeah, stoop that like, low. Yeah, like, once she leaves, she's like, oh, she looks like... They're trying to... They're it's saying, like, oh, like, she... Basically, yeah, she's one of the good ones. Yeah. In a sense. Like, they're comparing her to, you know, like, Whitney Houston or something like that. And then they say, like, they're talking about, like, Paul Abdul, whatever. Yeah. So there, there, yeah. There's a lot of two, I don't know, double speak coming out of their mouths. Um, where are we going with that? I feel like there's something. Well, I'm I mean, really just, just his <laughs> friends, Polly's friends, like how hypocritical they are. I don't know. Yeah, and they don't know how to handle things, right? Okay, so Polly was Angie's boyfriend. They've been, they're kind of just like high school sweethearts and they just kind of, they're like the, they've been together, like they've known each other growing up and they just, they don't even act like boyfriend, girlfriend. They just, they're just like very good friends because they've grown up together. Like, you know, when you meet someone from like middle school that's probably from, like, the opposite sex, like, your best friend at age 12, and then all of a sudden when you're in high school, it's like, oh, I guess we should date? That's kind of, like, what it seemed like. Possibly. Um, all we know from, for sure, is that Angie was not really into him as yeah, much as yeah, he was Yeah, yeah, he her. was really into her, but she's just kind of, like... He's the only nice guy, so I might as well type of thing. Right. Yeah, she went with what she knew. Yeah. Um, but then they, you know, they break up because of things going down. And she, he doesn't know that it's because she had this relationship at the time. Yeah. Uh, like he, he just knows that she just... wants to escape the neighborhood and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but eventually Polly gets over it and, you know, goes on with his life and now he's chasing after Orrin Good, who doesn't really care 
You know, they don't... She does not have jungle fever. No, but she... Yes, but she's she's willing to date him just to, you know. Because I mean, they're he's nice to her, and they're like she sees him as a nice guy, and she's like, yeah, sure, sure, we'll we'll hang out, whatever. We'll try. Uh, And and then Polly gets gets to go on the date or walks to the date, and everyone gives him shit for it. They follow him down the street, and then they basically just end up beating beating him up. up. Yeah, because. He went, you know, was going to go on this date with this person. Yes. Uh, on the other side of things, you have... What, what I found interesting about this movie, honestly, is kind of sidetrack. You don't have a lot of scenes with Flipper and Angie together. No, There's it's, very more, few. it's more about, like, what their friends think and what... Mm-hmm people in the neighborhood thinks about this but i don't know how intentional that was to basically say look it's not really about these people it's about what everyone else thinks about yeah these people. and it's like none of their business right which is i mean that's kind of be. like yeah it's that's kind of like how it is for forever like honestly mind your business mm-hmm. and just let these people do whatever they want to do like, unless you're directly involved with it, like, like yeah, Drew it was, right? Like, yeah, it doesn't as, really as the, as the wife, you. As the wife who got yeah, cheated unfortunately, on. Unfortunately, yeah, I would be pissed off, yeah, in her shoes. And then she was like, oh, and she's a white woman on top of that? She's, right. like, extra pissed off. Yeah, she's like, oh, I wasn't like the two people that should be angry are the people that were cheated on. Like, it, Polly and, you know, Flipper's wife. Mm-hmm. Drew. And Polly's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sad, I'm upset about it, but it's not going to ruin my life because, you know, we weren't married, whatever. Yes, yeah, I wanted yeah. to marry her, but, you know, okay, relationships end, and mm-hmm. it eventually gets over it throughout the movie. Drew has a lot of coming to terms with it, because, yeah, she, she definitely has, like, the insecurity within herself, too. It's like, oh, well, I wasn't white enough for him. Mm-hmm. Clearly, this is what and he wanted, they and that's just that a stepping stone to this whole yeah. thing. Um, yeah, there's this, it, yeah, it's basically like the whole thing of, like, pro, there's a big difference between, like, being pro-black versus anti-white, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like trying to reconcile those emotions and things. Uh, Lynette McKee played Drew, by the way, the the wife, uh, image nominated for To Dance with Olivia, and also as the world turns, Tony nominated for her role in Showboat. She was in movies like Brewster's Millions as well as several other Spike Lee movies like Malcolm X and He Got Game. Uh, it was in the movie Honey and Honey 2. And she also started her career as a teen singer at the age of 14 with a song called Don't Stop Worry About It, which I don't think I've ever heard of. And she also had an album that came out in 1992 called Natural Love. Uh, really good performances virtually all around. Oh, yeah. And... I mean, on the other side, you have Angie, who, she's in a very shitty situation with her family life, which she talks to Flipper about, like, that's how they are connecting. Yeah, like, like I don't want to go home because I have to make food for my family if I go so home. So she's like, I'd rather it. just work all night because I have to, like, after coming home from work, I gotta work even more by making dinner for my father and two lazy ass brothers. Yeah. So let me and let them make get a McDonald's run today. Yeah. And 
she talks about, you know, how her mom died when she was younger. And then her father and her brothers are just, you know, very pro- overly protective of her. More, like, more so her brothers, because whenever Polly comes by, they're, like, giving Polly shit. Yeah. And, like, they're saying, you know, my sister's a good Catholic girl, don't sleep with her, don't get her pregnant, blah, all this stuff. Yeah. If we find out that anything happened, then we're gonna, yeah. Yeah, if we find anything happens, we're gonna kick your ass. But then when they find out that she slept with Flipper, it's more her father that yeah. is like, your mother is like turning over in her grave. That's like the I same. Wish, yeah, I wish you would have died instead of her. Yeah, I wish you were dead instead of your mother. Like saying I'll, I'll, like, I'll, and then also just being like a extreme, like physically abusive. Yeah, yeah. Pushing her out of the house. Well, also belts. Yeah. I mean, there's there's like legitimate, getting, just, yeah, legitimate violence yeah. shown. And the brothers are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, even... Yeah. I mean, the brothers are mad about it, but they're not, like, to the level of where their father is. But then, like, on the flip side with Polly, when Polly says he's going to go on a date with Oren, his father says the same things. Uh Because his mother is also dead. And his father is saying, your mother is going to be turned over in her grave because you're going on a date with a black woman. So, yeah, you're no son of mine anymore. Yeah, you're no son of mine. And that's what triggered the whole, I don't know, the group, his his friend group to be like, hey, what's going on? And that's when, and then they beat him up. Yeah. And it's interesting to, like, watch this movie in the 90s you know, well, I, I didn't watch it in the '90s, but watching this movie from the '90s as a contemporary movie that takes place in the '90s, yeah, and believes that some of this stuff was happening, yeah, in but, the '90s, yeah. But yes, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. But yes, uh, and because then you're thinking like it, because there is even a point where someone's like, "It's the '90s, we can do whatever now." Yeah. Yeah, I think that was Debbie, Debbie, Debbie Mazar's Mazar? response to that. Yeah. Um, hey, gosh. Yeah, it's it's so interesting to... But, I mean, it seems like it's an extreme thing, but it's really not to people who have been, you know, on the fringes of, of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know? like, it, it's for people who are in Bensonhurst or people who are in Harlem, they know, yeah, this is... <laughs> you know... This is not that far from the truth. Yeah, they just, they're still living off of, like, the generational trauma from, like, their grandparents or whatever. It's like, you you stick with, like, your own kind, and that's it. Well, I think there's And they just, like, bring it down to each generation while the world is developing around them. Ozzie Davis gives a really good monologue at some point in this movie where he, Mm -hmm. he invites Angie and Flip to dinner. yeah. With no intention of actually eating with them, he just wants to say his piece. Mm-hmm. And he gives this big lecture about how what they're doing is basically wrong. Which, you know, you can easily not agree with it, but you can, you can understand his perspective at least in a way because he's coming from a time where Emmett Till is fresh in his mind. Mm-hmm. right? Like, and he's actively talking about the lynchings that went on because someone looked at someone the wrong way. 
yeah just you know 30 40 years prior it's not it's not ancient history yeah um so like it's it's also for him it's it's there's hate in in the reverend's heart like that's that's clear as you watch the movie that there's definitely hate in his heart mm-hmm. he, even though he gives a very stoic performance i think that's kind of what shows that he has hate is that he is virtually emotionless in, in all that he does um but there's also that aspect of wanting to protect his son and i think that's also what happens when flip talks about the kids and when they get stopped by the cops outside yeah. after coming from dinner that monologue really resonates with flip and also because yeah. he knows he knows what it means when cops come because okay they're play fighting outside of their car yeah, when they arrive at their joking apartment. joking around. I don't even know. Like play oh, the, fighting. Oh, because they they're were talking about around. boxing. That's what it yeah. was. And then they were like fake boxing each they're other. They're fake boxing. He, you know, and, you know, they're in a relationship. And so, like, he pins her on top of the car. You know, they're they're shouting and, you know, whatever. And she says stop. And you see some overhead camera angles to indicate that the neighbors are listening in and everything. And the cops come. Yeah. And they talk about how they heard that there was a, a woman getting abducted by a black man or something was going on or, or assaulted, sexually yeah. assaulted or whatever it is. And Angie's trying to defuse the situation by saying, no, 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 that's my boyfriend. That's my boyfriend. And yeah, Flip she... is like, don't, no, shut up. Do, do not say that. Do not tell them that. Yeah. And it's not because he doesn't want to, you know, go by those terms. He just doesn't want any potential racism from the cops to yeah. come out against him because oh you're not you can't be with my kind because yeah. it's two white cops uh-huh. he doesn't want anything like that to happen to him and again watching that in today's society i mean that's yeah you'd think that that shouldn't exist oh, that that kind of thing happens 100 but still we're does. seeing it very frequently now in the news that it is a little bit more rampant than ever yeah um but, you know, 10 years ago, if you were to watch this, you'd think, oh, that seems a little extreme. Well, I think <laughs> oh. we were just not seeing it. I think we just, yeah. I, I just don't think that... It's just always been going on. I think it's always been going on. It's just something that, you know, didn't get the right attention, and so kind of... Yeah, and then he kind of becomes angry at her. Like, don't do you realize, like, what you just did there? But, I mean, yeah. she doesn't know... No, she doesn't Either. know. And I think that's maybe the one part of this movie and its honest conversations that's missing is mm-hmm. the idea of, look, things are different for you because you are white. Mm-hmm. Even though things are bad in a different way. Yeah. You know, like, you don't want an interracial kid. Yes, I have an interracial kid, but I see it as black. They She's... act black, and the rest of the world sees them as black because yeah. that's just how that goes. Yeah. Anything other than pure. But to see like a is, white is... woman and a black man raising a child together, right. or having a white woman with a black child, yeah, they see like that. you would not have like you would not have a mixed child like you think. You would have a black child. Yeah. You know that that part of the conversation is kind of missing. It's like, oh, you can't say these things because we we can't predict what other people's racism is going to come out as. 
Yeah, and this is when they both realize that they just can't be together anymore. Yeah, he's like, this is not going to work. Um, and I plus, he didn't, I mean, I, I don't know how much he's fooling himself at this point, or if he's really, you know... I think Angie always wanted a relationship. I don't know if he ever really did. Well, because he did ruined at this his point, he's like, current, this is going to be too much talk. Yeah, like, you are not worth me leaving my wife and child. Right. And, yeah, that's... I, I'm just wondering, like, how long this affair happened. Like, it seems like over a course of, like, three months or something, but I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know the timeline. I don't either. I, I would assume it would be multiple months that the movie takes place in. Yeah. But yeah, Flip does have a little bit of a difficult time taking responsibility for some of his own actions because he confronts Cyrus and says, hey, why did you rat me out like that? You know, And Cyrus it flips was... it back on him. He's like, hey, look, if you never would have done anything, you know, <laughs> like, shut your mouth. Like, it's not my fault you did that. You didn't have to sleep with her. Yeah, but you know? even when he, own up to your own shit. Even when he said, "I slept with someone," Cyrus was like, "Oh well, whatever." Yeah, but whatever. then when he was like, "Oh, I slept with a white woman," he was like, "Whoa, oh, that's okay. a big that's bomb." A... Yeah, it's like everyone cheats on their wives. There's other movies that talk about that. Or girlfriends, <laughs> and it seemed as if Cyrus has done that too, or something. Possibly. Or at least they just don't consider it to be as big of a deal. Yeah, they're just like, oh, well, whatever, you cheated. That, that happens to everyone. But um, but because it was with a white woman, it's like he had to tell his girlfriend? Like, is it, is it, um... No, that's Cyrus's wife. Oh, it's, okay, because I know that Drew is friends with her, but I didn't know... Yeah, they know live in the same building and they're all friends together. If, like, Vera was his wife or just a girlfriend? Yeah, Vera played by Veronica Webb, um, which I think is really her, one of her only roles where she doesn't play herself, because she's a supermodel. Um, and, and so, yeah, she plays a, Cyrus's wife, Vera, in this. Um... What I also found interesting about this, there's a couple times where this happens. In that conversation I was talking about where Cyrus is confronting, or, you know, Cyrus and Flip are confronting each other and saying, hey, why'd you tell him? This is, like, right after he got kicked off. Kicked out of the building. They said, let's go take a walk. And they aren't actually walking. They're on a dolly. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like a Spike Lee thing, isn't it? Yeah, that also happened with, like, uh, with Polly. Well, I don't know. Again, I've only seen, like, Do the Right Thing. Uh, (laughs) Oh, because I feel like that's, like, when people are walking, it's, I think that's, like, a typical thing he does with the, they're on a dolly moving. That's his style. Okay. I don't know if that's just to prevent people from getting out of breath or accidentally tripping or something. Uh, I think that's just, like, his vision. Or it's meant to be stylistic. Or, like, his style. I just don't think that some of those camera movements match because it's almost like they're floating through air and that they're separating themselves from the situation when you're looking at the camera work. But the dialogue doesn't match that feeling mm-hmm. of, like, etherealness. Yeah. So, and, and the same thing happens with, like, Polly and... and um, Angie early on in the movie too. Yeah, when he's driving and it looks as if they're driving in a car, but yeah. the camera's just like pointing upwards, like you can look up their nostrils basically, and you see the sky, and just them talking. 
and you know just the trees and skylights above moving. well now i'm gonna have to watch more spike lee movies and see if uh, that trend continues i just thought that was his thing because i i swear i've seen that in other movies you are very possibly right yeah I don't think there's a whole lot of um, stylish filmmaking in this one. Like, you know, Do the Right Thing did have a lot of camera stuff going. You yeah. know, like canted angles and, like, snap zooms and all this kind of stuff. That didn't really exist in here. This is a lot more straightforward. And so I think that's also partly why it stood out to me. It's because it was one of the few camera tricks, quote-unquote, that, uh, that was employed in here. We talked about the music already. Yeah, the music bit. is great. Music is great, but it does get a little overbearing at times. With the the score. Yeah, the score. Especially, like I said, I think in that opening scene where they're just working late, there is that score that is very suspenseful while yeah. they're all talking to each other. And again, when you're just dealing with small talk and you have like this suspenseful music Yeah, you're music getting of, like Dick Tracy... Yeah. Um, I'm trying to... Yeah, just like um, that type of 1940s, I don't know, vibe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but for such a crucial scene, but it just doesn't like, quite It land. doesn't go with the scene. I mean, the music is good, but it's like, it doesn't go with what you're being shown. Yeah. And then, like, the Stevie Wonder songs are all good. Because they're all just, like, emotional songs about just like relationships which is what's happening in this movie mm-hmm. um we mentioned like i said with gator there there's a lot of time devoted to him again i don't fully understand how all of the the drug subplot stuff relates to it i other think that's than just, just like just to add additional commentary to what's going on in certain people's lives yeah during that i mean even just when we watched new jack city i mean this is like the beginnings of like the crack epidemic i wonder um you know honestly when they when they go through taj mahal which is like the big den mm-hmm. uh flip is looking for gator to yeah. try to get the mom's tv back you which he knows is already a gone. real drug den i don't know if it's a real drug den but i feel like that shot or you know that sequence where he's like walking through the entire drug den and like it's mm. very smoke filled and he's having to climb over all these attics i think that was a little bit more impactful at times than some of the stuff we saw in new jack city yeah because you didn't see drug usage in your face like that in New Jack City. It was just like... Like, yeah, like, it was... I don't know. I feel like it was easier to take yeah. more seriously than Chris Rock. Even though Chris Rock did a good job. It was kind of... You're funny. still watching a comedian. Yeah, right? you're, so you're watching like, him... You're looking for laughs, even yeah. if there's not supposed to be any. But, because, but he's also trying to be funny in certain scenes. In certain scenes. But I think... Just seeing the entire, like, ocean of people Mm -hmm. in those long shots, in those, you know, the wide shots, um, with just little, little specks of red where people are lighting up at various different spots. That's just, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, And then Gator's ending as well. Like I said, Ozzy Davis is 
Dr. Purify. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like just, this mix of hate and love in his heart. And Yeah, I mean, his Gator is, um, like, he comes back. This is right after he takes their color TV, and um, he wants more money, obviously. So he's, like, out in the bushes waiting for his father to walk their dog. Mm-hmm. And then, so his mom could be alone, so he can just get money. And they, this time... The mom is, you know, standing her ground. She's like, no, you took our TV. Yeah, and he's he's done with the pretenses as well, and he's just ransacking the home now. And he's like, okay, where's the money? And she's getting scared and whatever. And then that's when the father does come in. He's like, see, now dad's here. If you just gave me the money, I would have been gone by now. Like, he's just, you know, yeah. saying all these truthful things. And he's getting, you know, aggressive, and that's... Yeah, and then the mom's just like, here, t- she's taking all these, like, random statues or, like, art pieces they have in, on the walls or whatever. He's like, here, sell this. And he's like, I don't want it. I want, like, actual money. Yeah. And um, the father is like, I'll get rid of him. But we don't know the way he's going to get rid of his own son is by killing him. And, you know, he shoots him, like, in the gut. Yeah, point blank. Like, he's doing the dance, but he has a very angry face. Because mm-hmm. he's like, you know, hey, like, you know, just give me what I want. Just give me what I want. And he's he's doing his little shimmy dance, but he's doing it with a very angry look. And then he gets very close to his father. And the father, uh, yeah, shoots him in the gut. And he just, while the mom is crying her eyes out over his death, the dad just sits down in his chair and just recites a verse. Yeah, like, he's remorseful of what he just did, but he's also kind of like, I need to get rid of this evil. Yeah. And we don't see, like, what happened, the aftermath. That's, like, the end no. of that. We don't see what the aftermath of that. Yeah, that's the end of all three of them. I don't think they even... Because, yeah, very shortly after that, we see the... That's when Polly goes... On his date gets beat up and then that's when you know Angie returns back to her house like she somehow is back at home with her dad and brothers and then flippers with his wife and that's when we have that weird ending yeah so it's it's a weird way to get out of everything mm-hmm but, I mean, it's a messy conversation all around. I think that's part of the point, is that it's, you know, again, it's not a clean, cut and dry, here's right, here's wrong. It's, this is, this is the world. It's just presenting, like, look at how fucked up we are. Yeah. Like, look at how messed up we are as a society. It's, it's more calling attention to various different things than trying to offer solutions. Should we talk about some of the cast that we haven't talked about already? Yeah. So there's quite a bit. Um, there's. I'll just mention some names. They have like brief cameos because this is a big cast. Like I said, Charlie Murphy is in there uh, as Living Large, the person who tells Flip about the Taj Mahal and where it is. You got Queen Latifah as a waitress. Um, oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that whole. Yeah, that's like pure racism because she. Um, Flip brings Angie into a southern food restaurant and Queen Latifah is basically completely ignoring them and then basically saying, I can't believe you had the nerve to bring this, this white stringy-haired woman white 
Yeah, a stringy-haired white woman in here. In here. Um, and then she, and then it just goes into, let me speak to your manager. And then he's like, you're fired. She goes, you're tired. The end of that yeah. scene. Uh, Dougie Doug is also in there as a friend of Living Large. We'll see him in another movie pretty soon. Uh, we already talked about Tim Robbins. Debbie Mazar, like we said, was played what, Debbie? Denise. Denise. Um, for some reason, I didn't write down the character name. I have it as Vinny again, which is Nicholas Turturro's character. Debbie Mazar's Vinny's girlfriend. Yeah, Vinny's girlfriend. She's in uh, The Doors and also Little Man Tate from 1991, as well as the TV series Civil Wars at around this time. Uh, a friend of Madonna in many of her videos, also in the movie Singles, So I Married an Axe Murderer, Empire Records, Entourage, and Younger TV shows. Nicholas Turturro, two-time Emmy nominated for NYPD Blue, Spirit nominated for Federal Hill. Um... I'm not going to go through everybody. We got Michael Imperioli is in there as well. Uh, Tyra Farrell, who played Orin Good, we'll see her again in Boys in the Hood very soon. Halle Berry is in there as Vivian, the, the girlfriend, sort of, of Gator. Um, she's in 1991's Strictly Business and The Last Boy Scout. Those three are her feature debuts. This year was her first year for feature films. Uh, John Turturro played Polly Corbone, like we said. Frank Vincent played Angie's dad, Mike. We got uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Gator, Oscar nominated for Pulp Fiction, winner of a 2022 Honorary Award at the Oscars, also Emmy nominated for Afro Samurai, Spirit Award winner for Pulp Fiction, and as a producer for Eve's Bayou, nominated for Sydney and Mother and Child, Golden Globe nominated for Against the Wall, Pulp Fiction, A Time to, uh, Time to Kill, Jackie Brown. Uh, Image Award winner for Time to Kill, Coach Carter, Mother and Child, Django Unchained, Incredibles 2, nominated for several others. He's also in the 1991 movies Johnny Swade, Strictly Business, Dead and Alive, The Race for Gus Farachi? Farasi? I think it's Farachi. And also Jumping at the Boneyard. We got Spike Lee as the writer-director and also Cyrus. He's an Oscar winner for the screenplay for Black Klansman. That's his only Oscar win and only nomination, I believe. No, I'm sorry. He was nominated for Do the Right Thing and also for the documentary Four Little Girls in 1997. He also has a 2016 honorary award from the Academy Awards. Emmy Award winner for When the Levees Broke. Nominated for American Utopia. Spirit win for Best First Feature for She's Gotta Have It, MTV Movie Silver Bucket of Excellence Award winner for 26, uh, in 2006 for Do the Right Thing, and he also has a Stinkers nomination for He Got Game for directing that, and also being the supporting actor in Summer of Sam, another movie he directed. Can winner for the award of Youth, She's Gotta Have It, Palm d'Or nominations for Do the Right Thing and Black Klansman, also, he's done things like Defy of Bloods, Crooklyn, Malcolm X, Mo Butter, Mo Butter Blues, School Days, many, many music videos. And also, he did Old Boy, the remake yeah. of Old Boy. I forgot that he was the one behind that, which I have not I've seen. I've never seen, but I, I kind of have no interest because I, that movie shouldn't be remade. It should not have been remade. No. Um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Wesley Snipes, we talked about his credits in New Jack City. He played Flipper, Flipper as we mentioned before. Annabella Shora played Angie Tucci. Emmy nominated for a guest appearance on The Sopranos. Spirit nominated for True Love. 
Also in the 1991 movie The Hard Way and also Prison Stories, Women on the Inside. She's been in things like Internal Affairs, Cadillac Man, Reversal of Fortune, and Hand That Rocks the Cradle. And then we got our uh, pausing on the credits for Ruby D and Ozzy Davis, real life husband, husband and wife who played husband and wife in this, uh, as Lucinda and the good Reverend Dr. Purify. Ruby D, Oscar nominated for American Gangster, Emmy winner for Decoration Day, nominated for The Nurses, Roots the Next Generation, Lincoln in 1988, 1988 China Beach, Evening Shade, uh, Image Award winner for Do the Right Thing, Promised Land, she also has the President's Award in 20, 2008, uh, nominated for Captive Heart, the James Mink story, Having Our Say, the Delaney Sisters, First 100 Years, Little Bill, America, American Gangster, she's also been in things like Cat People, Peyton Place, The Incident, and the Jackie Robinson story. Done a lot of work with her husband, Ozzie Davis, who was also nominated uh, for the Emmys Teacher Teacher King, where he played Martin Luther King. Uh, Miss Ever's Boy, The L Word, for a guest spot on that. And then a Daytime Emmy Award winner for Finding Buck Henry, Buck McHenry. Uh, Golden Globe nominated for The Scalp Hunters, Grammy Award winner, along with Ruby, for the Best Spoken World Word Album with Ozzy and Ruby in This Life Together. Tony nominated for Jamaica as an actor, and also nominated for Pearly Victorious, which he co-wrote. So he's, he's you know, anyway, uh, very, very long, prolific career for both of these people. A lot of, a lot of credits I'm going to sort of bypass because this is going on very, very long. Um, but anyway, uh, Ozzy also was a med tech in the World War II Army. Uh, both of them were awarded the U.S. National Medal of the Arts in 1995. Together, they wrote and directed several movies as well. Um, Cotton Comes to Harlem, Cool Red, uh, Gordon's War, Black Girl. Just very accomplished. Both of them have passed away since, um, but also both of them were in several Spike Lee movies. And uh, again, fantastic performances from, from both of those iconic actors. In terms of this movie itself, uh, it was a pretty good box office success. About $14 million budget, and it made about $43.8 million. So not too bad. It's in the top 50, performance-wise. At the Cannes Award win... Uh, I'm sorry. At the Cannes Awards Film Festival, it did, it did premiere at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, but we gave the June 7th release date for its U.S wide because we've had a lot of can films oh, recently it's like a month before it was in may yeah it wasn't too far off yeah uh but at can samuel l jackson did win best supporting actor it also won the prize of the ecumenical jury and it was nominated for the palm d'or this movie also earned a grammy nomination for best song written for a movie or tv show stevie wonder gotta have you so not the title song, but Gotta Have You. Guess what song it lost to. A Grammy? Yeah. It lost the Grammy for Best Original Song Written for a Movie or TV Show. Um, I don't... Beauty and the Beast, I have no idea. Brian Adams. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone loves that song. <laughs> Well, it was just everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then also this movie has the NAACP Image Award nomination for Outstanding Motion Picture, but lost to Boys in the Hood, which we'll be covering pretty soon. Uh, 
So that's about it for awards. Not a whole lot in terms of like Golden Globe or Academy recognition, which, you know, I, I, aside from maybe like Samuel L. Jackson or some of the other people like Ozzy Davis, I would probably agree with. Um, so we can move on to true crime and pop culture. So okay, this movie was released June 7th, 1991, which is a Friday, but um, I'm going to talk a little bit about, I mean, you already talked about the Stevie Wonder song that, Wonder song that was nominated for a Grammy, mm-hmm. but the soundtrack came out in May 28th of 1991, and it became it's exclusively Stevie Wonder songs and it's considered Stevie Wonder's ninth album and fifth in a row to reach number one on the Billboard R&B albums charts and there was three singles that were released but none of them was the Jungle Fever song so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so like it I was... Like I said, it is kind of like... It's like the cheesiest. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So in the beginning of this movie, there's a dedication, and it's to just the murder of Yusuf Hawkins. And then this is going to be my true crime, and that's it. I'm not going to talk about anything else. Yeah, normally, normally we skip true crime and go to pop culture. This time we're skipping pop culture. And going to going the crime. crime. And, I mean, I looked this up and it's like a whole... I was looking up five or six different articles and then found out that there was a documentary that was made like three years ago, almost, or two and a half, that's on HBO called Yusef Hawkins' Storm Over Brooklyn, which that was premiered exclusively for HBO on August 12, 2020. And it was just like right in the... The whole Black Lives yeah, Matter like movie. Right, right, right after George Floyd. Yeah, exactly. So It's like a great a, documentary. Yeah, the documentary is great. And I've just never heard about this, but I mean, there's hundreds to maybe thousands of cases like this that happen. I mean, even now there's something going on. Well, also, I think this particular story might have been just bigger in the New York area and it might not have gotten the national attention. It may have because of or the we whole... we were too young. Yeah, we were probably too young, but like the when Al Sharpton got involved, I think that's maybe... I remember when... hearing about this, yeah, the stabbing. Yeah. I But, but I don't... I was... This is in 89, so I was like 8 or 9. I'm not really right. paying attention to that. Yeah. I, just, I remember seeing L. Sharpton on TV. Yeah. Yeah, the Rodney King stuff was bigger of uh, impact to us, but that yeah, yeah, this could, was like a specific. Age. So, yeah, this movie was dedicated to Yusuf Hawkins, and it's kind of like you see like how it's loosely based off of his murder because it does take him... This murder happens in Bensonhurst, which is where Angie is from. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, it doesn't really involve a relationship. It's just, like, the racism between this very, like, they're in the same borough. It's in Brooklyn. It's just, like, one side versus the other type of thing that escalated. But... 
Yusuf Hawkins was a 16-year-old black teenager from, he was, he lived in East New York, Brooklyn, which is close to where JFK Airport is. I don't know if you would know that geographically, but I mean, it's East. And then Bensonhurst is on the other side of Brooklyn, which is west, like the most southwest part of Brooklyn, closer to like Staten Island. So, I mean, it's a, quite a distance from each other. And he was traveling to Bensonhurst on August 23rd, 1989 with his younger brother and two friends and they were going to go check out a used vehicle because one of his friends was like, hey, I want to buy this car. Can you come with me? Documentary, they they talk about how they used to ride their bikes all over the city. They were like, we even rode our bikes all the way up to Central Park. Like we, when we were kids, we just did whatever. We went everywhere, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a big deal. So they go into this neighborhood, and then when they were interviewing his grandmother, she found out, like, what neighborhood it was, Bensonhurst, which is, like, a predominantly Italian-American neighborhood. His grandmother was like, oh, if I would have known that, I would have told him to not go there. They're on their way to go see the car. In the du- So in the... There's like three to four to five articles I was reading. They don't really... The the documentary does a better job explaining the miscommunication of why he got shot. And it is... I mean, one of them is... I was reading mostly from like the New York Times... And um, there was a Brooklyn, brooklyninc.org, and then the independent.org. And then there was an, a whole thing on oxygen.com. It was like a true crime section. Before Yusuf and his friends and his brother go to check out this car, there's like a group of kids in Bensonhurst. A girl says that she's gonna invite a black guy and his friends in for a birthday party. And these groups, this group of Italian American teenagers are like, and she's kind of telling him once these guys come to the party, there's gonna be like a brawl or something. Yeah. So these guys are like, no, we don't want that happening in our neighborhood. So we're going to be on the lookout for these half, the the black guy. And because she said, I'm going to invite a black guy and then some Hispanic guys. So when they were on their way, I guess they didn't even get, once they got off of the exit where they were in the neighborhood, they they stopped into a candy store to ask for directions because they didn't know where they were and they wanted to find out the address of where this car was. And then that's when someone from this group, it was between 10 to 30 Italian-American teenagers, someone noticed them, and that's when this entire group decided to come and confront them some of them had baseball bats and this is like 
this is where things get inconclusive because one of them was supposedly armed with a handgun and shot Hawkins twice in the chest, killing him. But in, like, in the documentary, it seems as if no one knew who shot him, like, even to this day. Because they were all just, like, pointing their fingers. Oh, this guy, this guy. Oh, I don't even, I didn't even see one, whatever. I mean, they convicted somebody for shooting him. They did, but even the guy who's convicted was like, I didn't shoot him. Wait, I mean, he's gonna say that, Yeah. Um, There's alleged mob ties that are mentioned in the movie as well, which could be part of protecting whoever did it. Right. And so, there was two teenagers who led the mob that chased Hawkins, and they were tried separately. They were first as co-defendants, but then, you know, tried separately, just kind of like that Pamela Smart case. You know, the two... I think they those two teenagers were separately tried. One of the kids who was interviewed was like, "Oh yeah, I said that, but I don't even remember being there." It's like that. Yeah. It's like, "Oh yeah, I said I saw that person, but you but know what? I, I wasn't know. actually there." Yeah, that's exactly like how it was with the Pamela Smart kids. It's yeah. just like you're talking to like a bunch of fucking punk ass teenagers. Mm-hmm. But um so the first one was Joseph Fama. He is the man who allegedly fired the shots that killed Hawkins. And in the do- like it, when I was reading these articles, I didn't know he ran away. So in the documentary, they speak to Joseph and he was like, I knew like because of what happened, it was such a bad thing. He hitchhiked and went somewhere in the middle of the New York state, whatever, and ran away. So because of him running away, they're like, oh, well, he must have did it. So he was convicted of second-degree murder on May 17, 1990. The other main defendant who was considered, like, the leader of this brawl to happen, or the instigator. The organizer. Yeah. Keith was Keith Mondello. He was another 19-year-old. Fama received a sentence of 32 years to life in prison, and Mondello received a sentence of 16 years in prison. But Mondello only served eight of those years and was released on June 2nd, 1998. And according to this article that I read... Fama was el- is eligible for parole until 2022, and I was trying to find out if he is out, but I couldn't find that. Because in, in the documentary, he's still in jail. Yeah, but that was a couple years that ago. That was in 2020, so I don't know if he's out So yeah, or it's not. about, it's close to time. So other members of the gang that chased and beat Hawkins also... His friends and his little brother, they weren't harmed. Yeah, it made it sound like um, the rumble didn't really even get to start all that much. And, like, one of the first things that happened was was the gunshot. Just the gunshot. And that's when everyone scattered. Yeah. And that's when... So, like, virtually no other injuries. Yeah. And um, so the other members of the gang that chased and beat Hawkins were tried as well. Some of them... 
One of them was by the name John Vento. He was convicted of unlawful imprisonment and received eight years. Another one was Joseph Serrano. He was convicted on charges of unlawful possession of a weapon and sentenced to 300 hours community service on January 11, 1991. And then from watching the documentary, there was more teens that had a lenient sentencing like that guy. They just all got like community service or some of them weren't even tried at all. Yeah. And in light of that, this is when they started more protests that were led by Reverend Al Sharpton. Like right after Yusuf was murdered, they started to have these marches. Like his father, Moses, was like, we need to do something about this. And that's when he reached out to Al Sharpton. Like, can you be my voice? Mm-hmm. And this is when they started to have these... They had like 15 marches throughout the two years, like after his death up until these, the trial. And like one of the first ones really caused like hatred because they went in during like an Italian-American festival in the middle of Bensonhurst. And the documentary shows like a very good footage of all these just Italian-Americans just saying the most racist things ever. Yeah, I don't know if it's raw news footage or if it's somebody's home video or a combination of them. But yeah. It is, yeah, it's, it's unedited, unfiltered. Well, it is clearly edited, but it's unfiltered, uncensored. Yeah. And because of the sentencing, they start... So they were happy. They just wanted justice. I mean, that's what... the They mostly talked to the mom because the father, Moses, is now passed away. Mm-hmm. And the mother, she was just... She was, like, in shock the entire time. Like, she really didn't want to do all this, what her husband was wanting to do. And I guess, like, I mean, that caused, like, them to separate because he wanted her to be strong and she just couldn't. Yeah, I don't basically. know if they were married again or if or it, if they were married at all, but, like... Oh, yeah. they were just together? Yeah, I mean, he had left for a long time and then came back shortly before the tragedy happened. And then a few years later, it sounded like they broke up again after... Yeah, after his death, after Yusuf's death. Because, I mean, then you have the involvement of Yusuf's community, their neighborhood, against, like, the people in Bensonhurst. And after the conviction of Joseph Fama, they were happy to have found someone. They just wanted someone convicted for Yusuf's murder. So when he was found, Joseph was found guilty, they were all happy and content with that. But then when the other teenagers part of this brawl had lenient sentencing, that's when caused more protests. And shortly before one of the protests, that's when L. Sharpton was stabbed and wounded. And they do sort of show that in the documentary. He felt like someone punched him and like ran off. But uh-huh. when he looked down, he was, he had a knife inside of him. Uh-huh. 
I mean, Shar- and then sh- obviously, like, I mean, Sharpton's still alive, so he recovered from his wounds. And then in 2005, it was considered to be more of a mob crime family, the Gambino crime family, who is led by John Gotti. I mean, there's like a million movies about John Gotti and one of his uh, informers by the name of Joseph D'Angelo admitted that the group behind Yusuf's murder was there on their orders, the crime family's orders, to attack any blacks who entered that neighborhood. Mm. And they kind of, they talk about a little bit in the documentary, but not really. They talked about one person in yeah. the mob. Yeah, they they allude that there there might have been some some ties to the mob. But they also say that like whatever the ex-girlfriend of the ringleader Keith said mm-hmm. may have just been completely like yes, like yeah. th- there was no actual plans for anyone to show up. She was just saying that to get her eyes out. Yeah, she show. was just saying that to make her ex-boyfriend jealous. Possibly. So, I mean, this is so all it's, just like, like it's just this huge, communi- massive yeah, mass, coincidence miscommun- issue. Yeah, yeah, it was like wrong place, wrong time, miscommunication, but then also based on racism. And then between, like in the middle of this, this is during the mayoral, electoral, like from the 89 to 90 ballot where you had Koch who was mayor at the time and then they were really they even talked about this in the movie about um, yeah, David Dinkins sway. he was the first African American to hold office they talk about for that New York City, maybe. for New York City so they show about they show that about having but when Dinkins was elected as mayor even the way that he was trying to deal with the like their marches and protests he was just like can we can you he was telling L Sharpton to like hey can you stop and just be quiet and not do this anymore and be peaceful about it even though they they were doing peaceful marches right yeah, Which is a lot of what we see now, unfortunately. Yeah, it's true. It's like there's no good way to protest, right? Like you know, it, he's yes, just like, can you just that... not protest? But it's like, how are they supposed to voice their feelings? And they're doing it peacefully. They're just walking through a neighborhood, holding like arm in arm. Yeah, everyone says, "Oh yes, you have the right to protest." But when you do it, they're like, "Oh, but not like that." Yeah. And then you try to accommodate him, like, okay, well, we're going to do it this way. Oh, yeah, but not that way either. Yeah, you know which Let me tell you how to do your free speech. Yeah, this what we see now. Yeah. So it's, it's, the documentary is great, because it's just like, nothing has changed, really, unfortunately, when it comes to this. And then a lot of this... Like, the protests, like, also came about because it was also, like, the same time in New York where the Central Park Five, that was, like, in April in 89. So then you have, like, a few months later, the murder of Yusuf. So Mm -hmm. it's just, like, this kind... It's just kind of, like, the same thing with, like, what happened with the L.A. riots. It's just, like, more and more is 
happening and people are, I mean, obviously people are going to break and want to protest or something's got to happen. So you can kind of see how that all ties into the movie um, to a Yeah, it's like loosely based off of that death or murder. Like knowing some of that background and, and looking back at that scene of the cops pitting him against the wall. You know, that, like that's sort of front and center in, in Spike Lee's mind when he's writing that scene. And I think, honestly, he, he could have gone farther, but probably chose not to for, you know, which is fine. Um, anyway, let's move on to rankings and ratings. On your one to five star scale, where are you going to put Jungle Fever? I'm going to give this movie a three. Yeah, on my zero to four star scale, I'm gonna say it's a three as well. Uh, I think. What really threw me off was the ending. I think the ending is is difficult to take, uh, not because it's weird, but because it seems so out of place from the rest of it. Um. Yeah, I think while the music is good, it doesn't always fit what we're seeing on the screen. Even some of the Stevie Wonder stuff doesn't feel like it's really cohesive with what we're actually watching. So there's there's a lot of things that don't quite vibe. And honestly, one of the main things is Angie and Flipper's relationship doesn't completely vibe with me. But every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Um, yeah, I mean, not right away, but yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I'm certainly not against it in any way. I think what the movie does really well is it presents a lot of these concepts, presents a lot of these talking points or conversational jumping points uh, in, in a fantastic way. Um, something else that I think would be interesting to, to keep an eye out for while doing a, another watch is there's that scene when Flipper is walking through the mall, the department store, to get to his wife with the flowers. And something I noticed in that scene and also a couple of the other subsequent scenes is that there's a lot of, like, older white guys walking through that department store and they all have black girls on their arms. Oh. So, like, there's a lot of, like, possible little hidden touches in that. And, like, you know, they're not talking about the double standard, but here's a double standard for you. Mm-hmm. This, like, in your face but not in your face. And so I wonder how many other little elements might be hiding like that in the movie um but yeah I, I think i want to see more of spike lee's catalog first before i come back to this one but i would not be opposed to coming back to this one if you out there want to watch jungle fever as of this recording in january 2023 it's available on vhs or dvd only but check your local listings as it has been on streaming platforms in the past you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991 movie at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991movie for the full list of movies along the show notes and more. Next week, we're going to be watching Hanging with the Homeboys. That's available on digital rental, VHS or DVD. We will see you then. Thanks.